Warning, Lawless is a podcast exploring crimes that can be explicit in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to episode one of Lawless Crime Knows No Gender. In this podcast, we don't let all the men have all the fun. We let the women get some of that too. So today is episode one and we have Annie here. Hey guys, how's it going? And we are so ready to start this journey with you guys. So Annie, how's it going? Oh, you know, keeping busy. This is definitely a passion project that we've been working on for, oh, I don't know, has it been months now at this point? It feels like it some days. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a while for sure. I'm just super pumped that it's off the ground and we're finally recording episode one so that we can share all of our um, murdery, gory stories with you guys. Yeah, I'm super, super excited too. So Alicia, anything new going on in your life? Nothing too crazy. Um, Just this past week, I did get my second COVID shot. um, And it was a rough couple days after that, for sure. Some people just get the sore arm and a headache. Um, I had the sore arm, headache, chills, fever, body aches, vomiting, nausea, literally every single symptom that you could get. I had it. Um, And it was a very rough two days. Sounds like you could relate to our victim in this episode a little bit. Yeah. Yes, I totally could. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's jump into our first girl. So who do we have, Annie? Well, today we're going to talk about Anne Belansky, and she is um, a Minnesota native, so that's why we decided um, to use her as our jumping off point, since that is where Alicia and I reside currently. And here's a bit of an interesting case because we don't know a whole lot about her. Um, That's the joy of a case happening in the 1850s. Um, We can only grab so much information for you guys, but we did our due diligence and we're going to give you um, all the details and then kind of talk about how we feel about how her case was handled. Yeah, she was definitely an interesting one to research. We kind of set our standards really high right away. By choosing a case that's from so long ago. Um, so there's a lack of information. I wish that we could know more, but that's just the true crime junkie in me. I want to know their history and I want to know more. So definitely we have what we have and we're excited to share her with you. Yep. Even with the, you know, limited information, still a very interesting story. So um, we can go ahead and hop on in. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. All right, so she was actually born Mary Ann Everts Wright, um, but she preferred to go by Anne. Anne was described to be a very tall woman with sharp features. She was intelligent and had spirited gray eyes, overlapping front teeth, a prominent nose, and light-colored hair. And just from the photo of her that we have, she's not a bad-looking lady. No, she's not a bad-looking lady at all. She was a widow. Uh, She moved to North Carolina, from North Carolina, rather, to St. Paul in April um, of 1858 to be with her nephew, John Walker. 
kind of an interesting move there. And when she was there, she did end up marrying uh, Stanislaus Bilansky in September of 1858. And she ended up moving in um, with her husband and his children into their tiny house that had a storefront in it as well. And then John Walker, the nephew, moved into a two-room shanty in the backyard. So they were all squished in together as a tight little family. Could you imagine having that many people in a little two-room shanty? My goodness. No, absolutely not. I mean, there are two <laughs> kids, a married couple, and the wife's nephew, quote-unquote. Yep, yep. So in late February, Stan here became ill. He had stomach pains, fever, vomiting. Wow, does sound like me with my uh, shot symptoms. <laughs> um, but he did actually end up dying on March 11th of 1859. So not exactly the same. You are still with us. I did not die. I did not die. <laughs> so Stan here, as we're going to call him because his name is so outrageous, very Polish. Um, we're going to go ahead and call him Stan. Uh, he actually had history that plays into um, the stomach pains, fever, and vomiting. He was kind of a hypochondriac. He was always ill. He was a drinker. And he um, just kind of sounds like a drag of a guy. And no one seemed to be surprised by the fact that he passed away from an unknown illness. Especially by the way he did. Exactly. And the death was ruled natural causes by a coroner's jury. And then he was buried on March 12th in 1859. So if we back it up a little bit and kind of just go into what led to Stan's death. So Anne Blansky had a friend. Her name was Lucinda Kilpatrick. And they were neighbors. And so one day, Anne and Lucinda were hanging out. They went to a St. Paul drugstore while running some errands in late February. And Belansky spent a whopping 10 cents on a jar of arsenic, just saying that she needed it to poison the rats that had been chewing up the vegetables in her cellar. I mean, that's reasonable. I would probably do the same in 1858 if I had rats in my cellar. Right. No questions asked. Get your poison, girl. Right. So, what had happened was. Anne's friend Lucinda had a, they were just hanging out, having a discussion. And Anne had actually mentioned to Lucinda that she was tired of her husband and that she was in love with her nephew, John Walker, and that she put arsenic in Stan's soup. So, being an 1850s housewife that she was, Lucinda went to her husband and mentioned that to him that Anne had probably killed her husband. So, Mr. Kilpatrick actually went to the police to talk about that. And with that, the police dug up the corpse and found arsenic in the body. So the fact that Lucinda Kilpatrick changed her story, came back to the police with her husband. Obviously, Anne was arrested right away after the body was exhumed on the 13th, and they did find those trace amounts of arsenic. The trial then started on May 23rd, 1859, and it only took a couple of days. By June 3rd of 1859, the jury deliberations began. And I do want to point out, it was an all-male jury. It took them less than six hours, and they came back with a guilty verdict. They wanted her hanged. So on July 25th, 1859, the Minnesota Supreme Court rejected her appeal for a new trial. 
And so after the trial, Blansky actually met with John Walker in the jailhouse. And they kind of just lingered. And um, they were just talking after dinner. And they were talking to the jailer. So when the jailer went to go fetch some keys, she actually escaped between the bars of a jail window. I wish I was that skinny. Can you imagine being able to fit through jail windows? Nah. (laughs) So they didn't get very far. If you know Minnesota at all, they were actually caught on August 1st, right around Lake Como. And actually, Walker was not indicted at all for his assistance with her escape. He got off scot-free, but she went back to jail and was still going to the gallows. She was still going to be hung, hanged is the correct terminology, for her crime. On March 23rd, 1860, as she was standing on the gallows, before the hangman could slip that black bag over her head and the noose around her neck, she stayed um, once again her innocence. She said, I quote, I die without having any mercy shown to me or justice. Your courts of justice are not my courts of justice, but I will get justice in heaven. And then she died. Her hanging ended up being witnessed by around 100 onlookers. Um, People were crowded around the courthouse to try to see um, see this hanging happen. Right, and that's just crazy to me. And with that, too, She was the first woman executed in Minnesota, and she is only one of 27. So to think about it, it started with her being the first to go in 1859, and that's just nutty. No, she's only one of 27 people. She's the only woman. She's the only woman. So more than 160 years later, and even still to this day, Anne Belansky's execution remains one of those question marks. Because Stan had a history of stating, like, that he would take his own life with poison and that, you know, he did have a lot of money problems. So he he talked about death all the time. So there was a lot of questions around, did she actually kill him? Did he kill himself? Were both Anne and Lucinda and involved both with, you know, John Walker? Um, you know, did Stan poison himself? Did because he did try to do that before as well. Right. He attempted suicide one other time after his wife, his first wife left him. Uh, There's another um, speculation there that did the judge veto the bill that would have saved Anne to protect his brother, whose name is Justice, who was actually on the jury that convicted her. So there was lots of petitions going around as she was a woman not to have her executed. There's also speculation that Ramsey, who vetoed the bill that would have saved her, only did it because his brother Eustace sat on the jury that convicted her. So that's a little sketch to me. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really all we have on Miss Ann Belansky in terms of the case itself. We're just going to discuss it now, I think, just kind of go over some things that we've learned and what we think about the case. What do you think about that, Annie? Sounds great. Um, The first thing I kind of want to talk on is women in the 18, you know, 1850s, 1860s, and how little rights and influence they had. You know, they weren't on the juries. Oh, it was literally nothing. Nothing. They weren't on the juries, either the coroner's jury, which was consisted of six to 20 men, by the way, 
and they were the kind of the initial um, trial, if you will, and then her actual trial jury. All men. Yeah, and the fact that they took hearsay so well, like, immediately, they're like, okay, Mr. Kilpatrick said that his wife said that Anne poisoned her husband, so they exhumed his body the next day. Like, he wasn't even in the ground a full 24 hours before they pulled that body out to go, oh, yep, yep, there's arsenic in there. Worst game of telephone ever. It really was. Another thing that really bothers me is that the trace of arsenic only showed up in one of the five tests available at the time. That is... You know how easy it could have been for them to just falsify that? Falsify it, cross-contamination. Yes, that's the word, cross-contamination. You think it would have showed up on more than one test if she'd actually been actively trying to poison her husband, the man who told her to go buy the arsenic, supposedly. So another interesting thing about Miss Belansky is that um, she's buried in an unmarked grave in the Calvary Cemetery. Like she got no respect, no dignity, just an unmarked grave. Like, Annie, let's go take a weekend trip and like go try to find this grave and pay some respects. It makes me want to go find exactly where she's at, take a picture and just be like, she's here. We are here. We wish you weren't, you know. Yeah, absolutely. She <laughs> wish things would have been different for you because, man, if she if people in that time were alive during this time, they would be just awestrucken. They would be like, "What is this? What do you mean women can vote and women have rights? They sit on trial as jurors. What? They make laws." Speaking of that, you should talk about um, how she was tried. So the way that Anne was tried was that she was tried in court, but also in the court of public opinion. Because St. Paul was such a booming newspaper town, and she was a murderess, it was everywhere. Daily updates, you know, the newspaper used to come twice a day, because that was how they got their information. And she wasn't just local news. She ended up being, you know, in newspapers on the East Coast as well which is wild if you think about the time frame. Yeah, that it spread so far and so quickly. Yeah, because there wasn't very long between, you know, the murder, quote unquote, the trial, and then her subsequent execution. You know, after her appeals were exhausted very quickly. My husband literally just came down here and asked if he could have breadsticks. The answer to that question is always yes. No, I bought that four-piece breadstick for me. Please do not put that in the podcast. <laughs> Tyler's like, I'm going to do it. Our sound yeah, guy is looking at us like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Good grief. So a really cool fun fact, Annie, that we should touch on is about arsenic and things that happened with arsenic in that time frame. Yeah. Given the numerous ways people could be exposed to arsenic, most people were just walking around with some level of arsenic in their systems and they wouldn't have even known it because it was used in so many everyday products. Yeah, it was mixed in with, like, oatmeals or foods. Well, it was mixed in with oatmeal and food, and they'd leave it next to a rat hole. That was, you know, the main use for arsenic was to kill rats, like Anne was going to do, um, per her testimony. But, you know, it was also used to wash floors that was used to in paint and soap and cosmetics candles flowers even children's toys had levels of arsenic in it so 
it was very easy to be exposed. And the fact that he tested positive is not surprising at all. It was even believed to cure diseases when administered in small doses. And we do know he was a sick man. He was always in and out of illnesses. And, and it would be in tinctures and remedies that people would sell at the general store. Arsenic itself was a prominent topic in Victorian literature, as it was kind of the fashionable way to, for women to murder their husbands. So there's lots of stories about it and a lot of acute women who were accused and many who were sentenced that were innocent. So it's kind of a kind of a terrible thing, really, the fact that arsenic was everywhere, but it could also kill you. Right. Absolutely. It totally was. I totally get that. That's crazy that it was in things like fabrics and soaps and, and all of that. So it really could have been a false, a false positive test. And the fact that they allowed that to be a guilty verdict with just the trace amount is just wild. Right. They had no other physical evidence besides that one arsenic test out of the five that were conducted with a positive. And in case you didn't know, a coroner's jury is basically a group of people that assist the coroner to, like, in an inquest. You know, it determines the identity of a deceased person and their cause of death. So now, basically, what just a coroner, a coroner does, they had a jury for that. So that's what that is, if anybody was wondering. And it usually consisted of, like, 6 to 20 men. Not women, just men. So that has been our story on Anne Belansky. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Was she guilty or was she a victim of her time? And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we can be found at LawlessTC or Lawless Crime Knows No Gender. What do you think? Send us questions or guesses on who the next criminal that we'll talk about will be or suggestions for future episodes. And we may give you a shout out during the next episode. So we do have a Patreon as well. Lawless Crime Knows No Gender. It is our way of being able to interact more closely with you. So we do have three tiers. Each tier is a different paid tier. And each paid tier comes with their own benefits. If you want to see what some of those benefits are, you're welcome to go ahead and check it out. But some of the things that you can get included with our paid memberships is you get early access to episodes you get access to our discord community you can you know send us messages and things like that um and even if you pay for the higher tier you can get an exclusive t-shirt which who doesn't love free merch exactly yeah so give our patreon a view patreon also has um or will have eventually those future bonus episodes so keep a lookout for those if you are one of our paid subscribers. So tune in next time as we delve into another curvaceous criminal. This has been Lawless. Remember, crime has no gender, so why let men have all the fun? Bye.